So this is year three of our State of the Field conversation. I'm excited that this time our discussion will help usher folks into the conference this year. We'll be talking about our observations and the latest trends and developments in the field as we gather once again as a community at SOCAP. And this year, we're laser focused on getting to action and centering justice. This year's SOCAP themes include climate and justice and power and how those intersect. And we're asking how capital can move more effectively to support systems change, reduce systemic risks, right historical wrongs, and flow more quickly towards the people, solvers, and problems that need it most. So all that said, it's great to be with you two beautiful, <laughs> beautiful people again. Fran, hi. Hi, Monique. Um, great to be with you and Kathy. Um, and hello to the Money and Meaning audience and to the SOCAP community. I am Fran Siegel. I serve as president of the U.S. Impact Investing Alliance and executive director of the Tipping Point Fund on Impact Investing and looking forward to our conversation today. Kathy? Hello, everybody. Monique and Fran, it is so wonderful to do this again with you, this time uh, uh, online um, instead of in person. I wanted to say, you know, in addition to my title, I'm faculty director of the Center for the Advancement of Social Entrepreneurship at Duke. Um, really wanted to say how excited I am that we are going to be back in person at SOCAP this year. I actually just ran down the hall at the Fuqua School of Business, where I work, to get a to get a flu shot at the flu clinic, and it was wall to wall people, and the energy coming off that 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 group is what I am excited to um, delve into when we go back to SoCap in a few weeks. Me too, and for me, you know, I think about what are the overarching trends and the needs and opportunities that you guys have observed in this past year that you're eager to talk about today. And what's one thing listeners need to know about? Fran, how about we start with you? Sure. So one topic that is very top of mind for me is the recent mainstreaming of impact investing, including ESG, along with the related pushback that our field is experiencing. And just to level set at the U.S. Impact Investing Alliance, we have a very broad definition of impact investing. So investing across asset classes globally for impact. So we do include ESG. Um, I imagine that many of the listeners are already tracking the rising anti-ESG rhetoric and the state policies that have been dominating headlines in recent months. Uh, so in addition to those developments, I'd also love to lift up some market and policy developments that we hope uh, impact investors and the broader ecosystem will be tracking or should be tracking. Um, and finally, I'd like to consider how our field can reclaim the narratives around impact investing in ESG and what will it take to reverse the recent politicization of our priorities. Yeah, so um, I'll jump in on that. I, I love all of that, Fran. I love the fact that we, as the impact investing community, are connecting to the growing awareness of ESG. Um, for me, it's also an opportunity to really kind of own or claim what's going on um, in the broader ESG movement and really focus it on practices. And to me, that's about impact management, right? So everyone always asks me, well, what do you really think ESG is, right? Because ESG is kind of like a frame. It's kind of like a box, three boxes, an E box, an S box, and a G box. And you can put different things into it. And I don't think impact is something that you can stick on side, the side of the box um, and be happy. What it is, it's a specific set of management practices. And so I feel like we, the impact investing community, have been the R&D arm for how to do impact management 
for over 25, maybe over 35 years. We need to leverage that expertise because there's so many more people now saying, how do we do this? And we can say, here's how you deliberately manage positive impact on stakeholders, on sustainable development goals, on other global issues. And I feel like it's so important for us to step into that conversation, to keep it really simple for people and to help them kind of figure out what they do first and next, not blame them for where they are, but get everyone on the on-ramp to being a good um, impact manager as part of their ESG practice. Um, The other, another issue that I wanted to tee up for us to talk about is kind of this idea of how do you actually have impact on stakeholders and what are the power dynamics and trade-offs that come up? Um, and so, you know, as we think about stakeholder capitalism has been been around for a while, <clears throat> the this idea that businesses are responsible for their impacts on a variety of stakeholders, it sounds good, but I think in real life, it's kind of mysterious to most businesses, except for their kind of laser focus on customers, which which they've done for a long time, the new standards that are emerging, you know, really require an understanding of impact on a much broader variety of stakeholders, even just thinking about scope one, scope two, scope three, right? Those environmental standards, which have emerged in Europe and are emerging elsewhere, um, require that you think about what is my responsibility for understanding my supplier's environmental risks, um, challenges, and opportunities? And what about my distributors, risks, and opportunities, and challenges? And so I just feel like we have a really interesting kind of groundswell going on of people thinking about in new ways how to engage their stakeholders, how to understand where they are, what decisions they would like the the organization to make, and getting beyond kind of a check-the-box exercise of I did a passive survey and I kind of threw it, you know, in a drawer. Um, I also um, uh, very much uh, believe that there is an underlying challenge to this that a lot of people aren't talking about, which is that at the end of the day, you have to manage trade-offs between your stakeholders. A business can, you know, every extra dollar a business generates, you have to decide which of those stakeholders is going to get it. And we have to be more deliberate and um, transparent about what leads to those decisions and then evaluating whether they work. I so agree with you both. I mean, when you think about it, there is an on-ramp to the existing body of knowledge. Everyone does not need to begin at zero. And how can we leverage that what we know to help folks get there faster? and um, you know, in addition to all of those things, for me, it's how suddenly there's a lot more people talking about systems and systems change in our field. And I'm 100% here for that conversation. And folks are also talking about democracy and the need to emancipate the vote and all of the voter suppression and how that impacts our work. And collectively, grassroots movements are, are gaining steam, fighting for more rights, fighting against the rollback of the rights our foremothers fought for. And all of that is a very good thing and also something to be mindful of as we move towards uh, this conversation at SOCAP this year. Thanks, Monique. Thanks, Kathy, uh, for the laying out some of the themes that you'd like to touch on more deeply in a moment. So I will kick us off with an exploration of the field's growth, um, as well as the pushback that we've uh, been seeing that I alluded to in the opening remarks. So um, just to take us back for five years ago when the US Impact Investing Alliance launched, we had a tagline uh, that the future of investing is impact investing. And we see that 
that has come to fruition, um, perhaps not completely, but uh, we've made some real progress as more stakeholders, investors, businesses, market actors, employees, voters, to, to um, Monique's point, understand that all our actions have an impact and certainly investing has an impact. Uh, the challenge is that the impact is largely opaque to stakeholders and very hard to measure. And those are two things that Kathy touched on a moment ago. We see the development being driven by the increasing deployment of impact capital by a range of investors, including institutional investors, but also there's a growing interest from retail investors driven by younger generations, by women, Black and Latino investors who report a greater interest in aligning their money with their values. And we see asset managers responding. So alongside the impact pure play fund managers that we have been seeing for years at SOCAP, um, uh, like Leapfrog, like Village Capital, uh, like DBL Partners, we see increasingly public and private equity giants, incumbents, um, asset managers uh, continue to bring impact products and ESG products to market to um, meet that investor demand. And finally, we see the fields mainstreaming in the global regulatory developments around corporate and asset manager sustainability disclosures that Kathy hinted at a moment ago. So regulators and standard setters are proposing these sustainability disclosure requirements first for corporations. So we see it at the SEC in the United States, the IFRS foundation that covers over 140 jurisdictions though not including the United States. And we see it at the European Union through a, a, a group called EFRAG. Um, the SEC and the IFRS Foundation's efforts are really grounded to start around climate-related disclosure. Um, but it's worth noting that the EU has gone farther and focused on double materiality, which maybe we can unpack a little bit um, later. Um, and also, we, we talked, we hinted at greenwashing earlier. Uh, the regulators in the US and the EU have proposed enhanced disclosures for asset managers offering ESG funds, um, known, as, known as the funds rule uh, from the SEC and the Sustainable Finance, excuse me, Sustainable Finance Disclosure Regulation, FSRD. I have all these acronyms stuck in my throat. <laughs> um, so the, while these efforts aren't perfect, uh, they are meant to directly combat greenwashing in the industry. So we have this increasingly diverse supply of capital coming in. We have uh, the need to deploy more capital to address a range of issues. Um, and I think um, perhaps uh, inevitably we have drawn uh, some pushback. Uh, there's a ton of anti-ESG rhetoric that we're observing. Uh, the political right have termed it woke capitalism. Um, and we don't think that these are reasonable critiques. We think that they're made in bad faith. They are politically motivated. And so we are working with um, many field builders and actors and investors uh, in, to coordinate communications, um, the solidifying of messages uh, that we uh, believe that these uh, arguments are in bad faith and that uh, and we also feel that these this is a threat not just to ESG but the entire impact investing ecosystem 
because it seeks to discredit the general pairing of finance and impact, and as well as the broad principles that our field represents, including transparency, equity, and accountability. Um, there have also been public policy pushbacks um, on anti-ESG that maybe I can talk about a little bit later. Um, but we feel for this audience that it's important that we work together to ensure the progress that we've made over the last couple of decades isn't reversed, isn't unnecessarily politicized. We need to defend and reclaim the ESG movement, communicate our vision more succinctly for a, and compellingly for a transparent, equitable economy. Um, and uh, looking forward to unpacking some of this with you and hope that some of these conversations will emerge further in person at SOCAP. So maybe I can transition to you, Kathy, around you talked a little bit about owning ESG, about impact investing being the R&D arm uh, for, for ESG, and maybe you can talk a bit about that. Yes. Um, one, to react to you a little bit, I think that, you know, this issue of is ESG responsible or irresponsible, right, as a frame, um, I kind of feel like, you know, what's the right analogy? The chickens are out of the pen. Um, you know, when you look at the data, um, you know, over 80% of companies in Europe are managing ES to ESG risks and, you know, something like over 50% in the US. So I just, I, the, the the politics of that, I feel like are at this kind of rhetoric level. And yet underneath that, there's a whole bunch of people, social entrepreneurs, nonprofits, um, corporates, um, investors who are really working on how do you do it? How do you actually put your finger on a dial to actually make change happen? in terms of your emissions, in terms of your racial equity inside your organization or inside your, your partnership groups, um, in terms of how you're managing gender or water or, you know, all of the other sustainable development goals. And so I just feel like the, the, the practice um, will always trump the rhetoric. And I, and, I, and I hope that, that we can continue as a community to help that happen. So um, I just wanted to go back maybe to the issue of... Um, Kind of stakeholders and power dynamics. Uh, I feel like there has been, you know, over the past few years, there's been a lot around, um, you know, how do you really rejigger the way decisions are made within organizations to make sure that they are fair and equitable to many different kinds of people. Um, I feel like at the same time, we're looking, you know, broadly at kind of overall systems and how they need to be rejiggered for equity. Um, and I do think that more and more in our community are kind of trying to get out of their own comfort zone to, to deal with these things and, to, and to, to experiment with different ways of doing that. They're not standardized yet, which can be very, very confusing um, for a lot of different actors. Um, I'm wondering, Monique, how does this effort relate to other movements um, that have taken place um, around the country and around the world? And how should this how should we as a field kind of position ourselves against those? Well, thank you for that question. I, I do think that there's a lot to learn from movements and movement building that has occurred in many other domains. And we need to position ourselves as, as thinking of ourselves as party to those movements and part of them, even though we are a movement within um, a sector and get out of our own silo so that we can learn and others can learn from us for what we do have to share. Because how we solve our future is so emergent. 
we are not necessarily feel that's so comfortable with uncertainty in terms of the financial markets, but we need to take a road not yet paved for how we do things differently, how we do things in this next normal. And many of the solutions that we do need are here and have been built by the impact investing community, and some of those need to be scaled up. Um, but much of what we need has not yet even been imagined. So, you know, I have a lot more questions for the field than I do have answers. You know, how can we better court coordinate across pro-democracy, pro-justice movements. If we view the world as a system and visibilize these interconnections that are there, then how can we have everyone doing their part, either simultaneously or in sequence, to deliver on the change we need? That's how the system gets changed. And some of us have work to do in one domain or the other, but we need to see how it fits together so that we can make sure that what we're doing is actually contributing and contributing at the right time. And the challenge to all of us is literally how do we build resilience into this system and adaptability? How do we build more transparency into the system, as Fran said, with good data that is more decision useful and coherent to the folks who are making decisions that will make the world a better place? How do we increase the connectivity that will enable us to work together more, but more importantly, more effectively? Which brings me to the thought that I grapple with every day uh, here at ZIP, the Investment Integration Project, where we talk about the fact that investors are contributing to systemic risks and perpetuating biases, but not just end the conversation with that thought, but what can we do with that awareness? We want to help curate who is out here working on connecting systems, syncing with investors, and highlight the tools that they're designing and the tools that we need to get of our own way as a field. You know, we also are trying to build community among early adopters of system level investing so folks can learn from each other, which is not something that the financial industry is well suited to do culturally. Um, but that's how we'll be able to move forward faster. What's your take, Fran? Yeah, I feel like we're uh, we're we're moving into a conversation about systems change, which um, I'm very interested in. And I know that Monique, you that's one of your day jobs is at TIP is uh, systems change. And um, in some ways, I feel like impact investing itself um, is fundamentally questioning systems. Um, we have moved at the Alliance from a period of really advocating for Im impact investing for impact investing sake to now a place where we uh, want to explore how impact investors can help manifest a more equitable economic system. Um, so that has been, I think, the evolution in our thinking. It has been informed by the crises of 2020, 2021 uh, to present. And But I also think it, it is emblematic of the evolution of our field and the sophistication of our field. Um, is how can we help manifest this equitable economic system um, that includes economic justice, racial justice, gender justice, but also environmental justice. Um, and we do a lot of work, as you folks know, at the intersection of the public and private sector. Uh, we've touched a little bit on public policy uh, earlier, uh, but we, when we're in Washington, we talk about impact investing as leveraging private capital for public good. And we hope that uh, our movement is able to uh, bridge many movements. So the, the movement of, around climate finance, community development, racial equity, as well as stakeholder capitalism, which with uh, Kathy touched on earlier. 
Uh, one example uh, to share that we are very excited about is uh, a $27 billion greenhouse gas reduction fund that was included in the inflation recent Inflation Reduction Act, uh, which, as, the IRA, as you folks know, probably know the IRA is the most substantial climate uh, policy that has been passed in the nation's history. And in particular, uh, the Greenhouse Gas Reduction Fund has a potential to stand up a national green bank for public-private investments in community clean energy projects, which is so important. If we move infrastructure, if we move uh, 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 sustainable infrastructure in a way that is not community-centric, we will have... Uh, squandered this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to deploy billions and leverage trillions of dollars. So we think that this is a very unique time for radical collaboration. Um, and we also believe that systemic and interrelated, interrelated challenges like the climate crisis and inequality in all forms demand systemic solutions. Um, so um, I, I don't know... Um, Monique, if you wanted to kind of riff on systems because you do so much work in that area. One thing that we have been very interested in, and I think that climate is widely understood to be a systemic risk, um, but what would it take, for example, to position inequality as a systemic risk that's broadly understood by the market and factored in by universal asset owners, businesses, communities, other stakeholders? It's such a great question, and I think, you know, we spent a lot of time at TIP before I got there and, and still thinking about how do we lay out this case and what are the, essentially, the parameters by which we decide what is a systemic risk and what are the systemic risks that are available for investors to do something about. And within that thought, um, what are the leverage points in the system for income inequality? We think about um, again, that investors can do something about. We think about taxes, we think about CEO compensation, and we think about labor rights. And when we think about the fissuring that has happened to labor and the you know backlash against unions and other ways that workers have gotten adequate protection and get, gotten adequate pay, and we think about the ways that those things are still under fire right now. And particularly when we think about women and people of color, black people and indigenous people in specific, who still have not yet gotten quite equal pay for equal work. So all of these things we look to visibilize and say, you know, there is something that investors can do, particularly with respect to income inequality. And that's a global issue. Certainly it's irreducible and it affects us all. You cannot diversify your portfolio away from that. And to not deal with it is also a choice. And to not deal with it is to sign up for the fallout that occurs when income inequality is exacerbated, which includes polarized um, societies, which includes social unrest, which includes other challenges that make the world worse for everyone, not to mention your returns. So, you know, this is an important part of the conversation. Income inequality is but one systemic risk. Certainly climate change is another. There are others that we can talk about, and there are subsystems that different folks are are connected to more often, but I think the underappreciated S issues of the ESG framework um, require more attention and potentially require more information for investors to be able to, one, uh, accept that those are systemic risks that they are potentially responsible for and can take action upon, and uh, two, what they can do next. So I really appreciate the question, but 
think to your point, income inequality is an underpinning one that cuts across genders, it cuts across ethnicities, it cuts across immigration status, and a bunch of other things worldwide. Um, and I, re- I really appreciate a, a moment to be able to talk about that. And for you, Fran, you know, I think the next step is, well, what do you predict about how the world needs to change and what's in store for the world ahead? Yeah, happy to share, but I just, Kathy, did you want to top in on at all on like power dynamics to just build on what Monique shared about inequality as a systemic risk? I know you do so much work with emerging market uh, entrepreneurs on the ground. And so thinking about who has power and fundraising is something that you, I know, do a lot of work on. We, we have, we have done a lot of work on that over the years. I, um, I was actually going to ask a different question. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't think I have a good solution for that issue at the moment. Um, I don't think those power dynamics have changed all that much, uh, to be honest, since we do this, I think within our community, um, you know, relationships are getting more trust-based and, you know, there is, there is, there are some differences. Um, and I think there's a lot of intermediaries and a lot of investors who are taking great care to try to, um, understand the power imbalances and how to work with them. And that's a, that's a lovely thing uh, to see in the marketplace. What I was actually going to ask was I was going to ask a completely different challenging question to the two of you to see what you would say, which is, um, are we moving fast enough? It's 2022. We have SDGs that we're supposed to accomplish by 2030. And we're here talking about R and D groups and, fiduciary arguments and systemic things, which sound like they could take forever. How are we doing in terms of this community holding a beacon for the urgency? What do you guys think? Monique, you want to start? Uh, Short answer, no. We're not moving fast enough. Half the world is burning and the other half is on fire. So no. Um, People are still being harmed by the extractive capitalistic practices that we haven't yet been able to modify wholesale enough to make individuals' lives better, communities uh, improved, people get fed who are hungry and distribute these vast resources that we have and the financial assets that are only increasing. We have whole new industries that didn't exist 20 years ago. Uh, Let's think about what cryptocurrency has done and the ways that wealth has been built over these last generations. You know, the last time wealth was built this fast uh, was the Industrial Revolution, but it's actually much faster than that. What do we do with all this wealth that the world has created? Because it's not making the world not burn. (laughs) It's not making the world not flood. Uh, So we do need the money to move faster. And we do need to think about how can we move differently? I think the COVID crisis moved that some people can move money faster than they used to. How do we accelerate that and not retrench into past practices and indeed harness some of the new wealth being generated to deliver on some of these problems? And some of the folks who do have it think of it in the long term, and there's lots of folks thinking about systemic risks. Um, but we need more, faster, sooner. <laughs> better and more effectively. And we don't need to pat ourselves on the back for what we have done because the world is still on fire and burning. Um, And people's lives are not necessarily better for particularly those who have been displaced. We haven't quite created protections at our own borders, as well as those who are being displaced by climate and other crises. Um, Ukraine comes to mind. 
So the short answer, we're not in a more stable position, and the far right in many places is increasing its power. So what of that? We're not necessarily getting more democracy in places that need it, and in our own United States. So we cannot look elsewhere before we take the plank out of our own eye, as they say in the church growing up. <laughs> what, what can we do to move, to move more quickly and to move more empathetically? and to care about our brothers and sisters, because I think we are our brothers and sisters keepers, as well as stewards of this planet. I never like answering questions after Monique, because she's, <laughs> she's, a, uh, uh, she's a, a great communicator, but I'll give it a go. And I will echo what she said, um, which to, to, to Kathy's question, which the answer is no. Uh, the, the SDGs, of, uh, we're supposed to be quote unquote solved by 2030, which is right around the corner. Um, I think we see, I, I think that if uh, 2020 and 2021 had um, a silver lining, it's that uh, we could see our interconnectedness. Um, we can see the direct experience of climate change, of in income inequality more squarely. And the question is, to, to Monique's point about not squandering the opportunity, um, what, what are we going to do with this increased awareness? Or are we going to go back to our set point? I do think, um, Kathy, I think back to Investor Circle. I'm dating myself, but it's a number of years ago. And one of the members said uh, very eloquently that philanthropy is the runoff of a broken system. It doesn't mean that philanthropy isn't great, but it means that it's you know squeezing out a couple drops of philanthropy, but that capitalism is a broken system. Uh, some critiques of impact investing is that we're tinkering on the edges of a broken system. And so the answer is no, we're not moving quickly enough, but I see uh, moments of hope. I do think that transparency and accountability in the capital markets is, um, an essential precursor to a more equitable economic system. I think uh, millennials and Gen Zs uh, will hopefully deliver us in terms of their expectation for transparency and accountability. And um, to your point, I think that our ability in the impact investing field to measure thoughtfully um, impact factors, social, economic, and environmental factors needs to be used in full effect to make markets more transparent, to make supply chains more transparent, to hold various stakeholders and uh, in, in, for stakeholders to hold investors and uh, corporations and government accountable. And so that's where I see the hope is the next generation and uh, the fact that they see in ways that the prior prior generations have been willing to sort of bifurcate how money gets made and how tax dollars and philanthropic dollars get distributed. And so that's our hope for a more equitable economic system. Okay, I'm getting a cue to uh, do go to our lightning round. Um, and uh, we always kind of hedge on this a little bit, but um, uh, what we really wanna do is go out on a limb and each surface one to two specific opportunities or challenges in the field that you have your eye on. And so maybe Kathy, I can start with you. Sure. So 
I've gone out on the limb so many times uh, with crazy things that this year I'm going to be really conservative and talk about something that I pretty much know to be true <laughs> and hope will continue, which is that I really think that the the interest in not just awareness of, but interest in putting impact management into place inside many different organizations, I think is going to trend up. You know, so we have um, the data, you know, coming from the free Coursera course that we launched uh, a year ago, uh, almost exactly a year ago on impact measurement and management uh, on Coursera. It's the, the, the URL for that is imm for sdgs.com. But we've had over 63,000 people visit that course. Um, and so I, my prediction is that people are past awareness and they're hungry for how to's and that in all sorts of different environments, they're going to be asking this community and going deeper into what we can share with them. Should I turn it to Fran? Do you want to go next? Sure. And then I'll, I'll pass it to Monique to, to bring us home. Um, yeah, a couple things. Um, that, that, that I have my eye on, that we have our eye on. One is, um, and, and Monique talked about it a little bit earlier, our need to squarely focus on the S in ESG, uh, social issues and employment issues, community issues around stakeholder capitalism. Uh, we have been observing the lessons from the climate movement, both places where they've done uh, a great job and places where they have lagged to try to understand how we can accelerate and uh, elevate the importance of people, uh, workers, again, communities and, and, and supply chain labor in the S. And so uh, that is something that I hope we spend a lot of time on in the next year. And the other is evolving practices, norms, regulations around concepts like materiality, impact materiality, and financial materiality, and fiduciary duty, and feel that that is critical to advance the practice of impact investing and to manifest this joint vision that we have a more transparent, accountable, equitable economic system. So um, laying the groundwork um, in those regards are really important. Uh, but uh, neither of those are snappy things. I hope that we can make substantial progress on both, however, over the next year. And Monique, over to you. I don't know if this is a prediction as much as it is a hope that everyone listening to this podcast or attending SOCAP this year takes advantage of the moment of togetherness that we have to reconnect with friends and colleagues in the field as well as meet new people so that the radical collaboration that Fran mentioned earlier can actually be achieved. And I hope that we can be inspired by the giants on whose shoulders we stand, the civil rights movement, the indigenous rights movement, and the women's rights movement that have led to the structural reform and policy changes that we need here in the United States at those times and really earlier, and how we can use those insights and that inspiration to both support Roe here in the United States, as well as our sisters in Tehran. Um, I hope that everyone comes away from the conference thinking about one thing they can do differently tomorrow to take action on any of these urgent problems in the world that we've just talked about. Because one small thing could create a butterfly effect, not just in your own life to say that you can change and change is possible and it can be accelerated, but that one small change might just change the world.
I'm hesitant to jump in after that because I wanted it to, to sit and land and sink in with me as well as with others. Um, at this point, I'd really like to just go around and and ask, you know, for people coming to SoCap, what final pieces of advice might you have for how to connect with others, how to get the most out of, you know, we haven't done this now in person for several years, um, how to maybe go deeper on some of the themes that we talked about, because the SOCAP agenda is very rich. Um, and so I'm wondering if, if um, either of you would like to start with some tips for, for participation this year. I'm happy to, to share um, a little bit. So Monique touched on this, but um, I, I think a lot about you know, why we go to conferences and what we take away from conferences. And it is so exciting to be back in person, uh, can kind of feel the energy, the frisson that Kathy talked about earlier that she's experienced on campus. So I think just being together itself uh, will be fantastic. Um, I am very excited about the reframing of sessions around action. Um, and so just challenge those listening, those attending, to really receive con uh, content, to engage in conversations with a predilection toward action and radical collaboration uh, that Monique touched on. And for me, it's so hard to choose. As Kathy said, we have like a really amazing lineup. There are some amazing ideas that came through the SOCAP Open this year, and as well as some of the things that have been curated for the main stage. We're going to have some big and small conversations, meta and micro conversations. Um, but here are a few that caught my attention. Uh, one of them, the Hispanics and Philanthropy Group, has submitted a session about democracy and thinking about how philanthropy and impact investing can lead the fight to save democracy. Beginning in the U.S., and but we need these lessons around the world, given the rise of the far right. The abundance movement is also demanding a shift from scarcity to abundance. And the narratives we tell ourselves about what it will take to authentically come alongside social and racial justice efforts and talking accountability and how to truly support Black leaders and move beyond platitudes. I'm also super excited for the conversation with Dr. Delton Chen, who's working on the Global Corbin Reward, which explores how crypto can be used for good to help solve the climate crisis. <laughs> the session is subtitled, How to Think Like a Plant. So there you go. Go see it, right? Um, and on the final day of SoCap, we'll hear from one of my sheroes, the incomparable Anne Price. She's the executive director, director of the Insight Center, whose work drives structural transformative change focused on building economic inclusion and racial equity for people of color, women, immigrants, and marginalized families in the United States. And the essay she wrote, Centering Blackness, The Path to Economic Liberation for All, may have changed my life. And I'm excited to finally get to see her in person. So Kathy, back to you. Yeah, I I also have my eye on a few sessions. So I'll mention a few, um, you know, revolving around some of the themes that we've talked about. There's a great session on the evolution of impact measurement and management uh, on Monday at two. There's a very interesting session on power shifts and how you can have participatory design in financing, which is, um, you know, 
very a very radical power shift for most of the way that finance gets designed, and that's on 9 a.m. on Wednesday. And then in in terms of you know kind of what to you know what to do at this SOCAP that maybe is different, I feel like one of the things that we learned over the past over the pandemic is that we can actually get a lot of transactions done. Right. A lot of things, as, as, as Monique said, during COVID-19, we took away some of the friction points and a lot of money moved, uh, you know, under the duress of emergency status. Um, and I know that there's a lot of people who come to, to SOCAP because they want to have access to people and get more transactions done. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I do think that the value of being in person is really being present with others, building relationships and starting to build trust. It's very hard to build trust with people you don't know already. Um, and so I feel like that is the, that is the, 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 the under the, not the silver lining, the not silver lining of what happened fast in COVID is people pushed money out to people they already knew. Um, and that is not how you change and enlarge uh, power, uh, you know, as such. So I just, I, I want to encourage people to go out of their comfort zone. Um, if you're an investor, meet with entrepreneurs, you would never fund to learn about what they're doing. If you're an entrepreneur, talk to many different kinds of people. Um, and, um, you know, think about it as relationship building as it always has been. So Monique, do you want to hop back in? Yeah. You know, someone said once business happens at the speed of trust. So how do we build it? Uh, and so my call to action as we wrap, um, don't attend this conference just to be entertained. If you just want to be entertained, go to, go to a concert, <laughs> come here with the intent of being moved and inspired to join hands with the people that you meet because we are we all want the same thing the folks who show up at SoCap this year we want a better world and we have to figure out how to deliver it and this journey to justice has only begun um and it must go beyond those conference walls the world needs us to take action and live up to our possibilities so let's not disappoint them and so i just want to thank everyone who listened in today and thank you to Kathy and Fran for inviting me to be part of your state of the field conversation once again and i look forward to hopefully doing this again.